Indeed, indeed. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Trace. Happy Easter. How are we doing? You guys look good. You guys look good today and you're dressed up in your Easter outfits. Hey, my name's Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. And man, we're incredibly grateful and honored to have each and every one of you in this room with us today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I also want to say welcome to those that will be watching this later online. But let me just do this right out of the front, right in the beginning. I want to piggyback on the song that uh, Ross led us in just a few moments ago. And I want to ask you a question. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? Now, it may be some of the common ones like fear of public speaking. Maybe it's fear of dying. Uh, maybe it's fear of heights. Maybe it's fear of creepy clowns. Anybody? Anybody creepy clowns? Yeah. One of my uh, greatest fears truly as a pastor specifically uh, comes out of Romans 125 in this particular passage right here. And the fear really is rooted in the idea that people that I love and people that I lead, including people that come to this church, would at some point in their life trade the truth of God for a lie. As I was thinking about what I wanted to talk to you guys about this Easter, I actually thought a lot about this particular passage. And the reason why I thought about this particular passage is because I think for many people, we find ourselves doing this. I shouldn't, actually, let me say that differently. We're doing this, but we don't even know that we're doing it. And so what I decided that I wanted to do specifically in this particular message is use an illustration. And in order for this illustration to work, I need every single one of you to do me a huge favor. What I need you to do, and this may be tough, and this actually might elicit a little bit of fear from you. What I need you to do is fill something out for me. Now, some of you don't know me. This is the first time you've ever come to this church. So we have no rela relational equity. So I just need you to trust me. I, I mean, it's Easter Sunday. Maybe you can trust more than other times. I don't know. But I just need you to trust me because what I need you to do is to fill out the card that's in the seat back pocket in front of you. It has nine questions. Now listen to me because I've got to be crystal clear here. I'm going to use, nobody's going to have a, a clue what you put down. No, you don't need to put your name. All you're going to do is put a check mark or an X. Nobody's going to have a clue what you put. But if you don't fill this out for me, if you're one of those people and like, I'm just not going to do this, you are going to mess up my Easter sermon. And when you mess up a preacher's Easter sermon, there is a special place in hell for, no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go, went too far, went too far. But I really do need you to do this. Honestly, the way that you see me use this later, if you don't fill it out, you're going to wish that you would have. And I promise you, you're going to appreciate the way that I use it later. So I'm going to give you like 40 more seconds. I just need you to fill this out. Ushers are going to go ahead and get in place. An X or a check, an X or a check, an X or a check. Just answer those things honestly. And after you answer them, you can fold them back up and then we're going to take them up. I'm going to do something with them later. I need you to do everybody, need everybody, everybody, everybody everybody to do this for me. Please, 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 please. Got some card filling out music happening. About 30 more seconds. X or check, X or check, X or check. All right, we can go ahead and start passing those buckets. And while they're doing that, uh, just drop those in the bucket. Again, nobody's going to have a clue what you put, so you don't need to be nervous about that. Thank you for participating. Again, I really do believe that you'll appreciate the way that I use these later. But let me begin this way. I want to begin uh, with a moment of transparency. Is that okay? Can I begin with a moment of transparency this morning? Here's how I want to begin. I lie to my kids sometimes. I lie to my kids sometimes. Sometimes you have to, right? Sometimes you have to lie to your kids when they ask questions like, hey, what were you guys doing in there? Taking a nap? Then why'd you lock the door? Safety? I don't know. You know, sometimes you have to lie to your kids. Sometimes you have to lie to make yourself feel better about something that you just don't want to feel convicted about, right? I mean, you got you to lie to yourself 
so that the truth of whatever it is you're trying to avoid, that you can avoid it. Here's a perfect example of that. Uh, not too long ago, my family was sitting down to a dinner together, and when we sat down, my four-year-old, who's now five, my four-year-old, uh, she dropped one of her chicken nuggets. And when she dropped her chicken nugget, she said, darn it, but she didn't say darn it. She actually used the other four-letter word that I can't bring myself to tell, say out loud on Easter Sunday, even though maybe I typically would, but I, I feel like the Lord would shoot me down with lightning or something if I did that on Easter Sunday. So this is what, that's what she said, and my wife and I are both like shocked, like, where did she hear this? And she had no idea she had said anything wrong. And so my wife and I are looking at each other, and I think my wife's first response was, I think our four-year-old's been hanging out too much with the neighborhood kids. My first response is, I think my four-year-old's been hanging out too much with her mom. And so, <laughs> that was so bad. All right, uh, it, just in case you're wondering, if you're judging me right now, my wife gave me permission to use that. Uh, but sometimes, like I said, we have to lie to ourselves to avoid reality. What if all of this, what if all of this was a lie? Right? Well, I mean, what if the Bible is a lie? What if Christianity is a lie? What if the resurrection of Jesus, the reason we showed up here today, what if all of this is a lie? You probably know this. You've lived enough life up till now to know that there's many people who think the resurrection is a hoax. And the reason that I even start with this, great way to start an Easter message, right? The, the reason I even start with this is that if the resurrection didn't happen, then everything else that we do, friends, is in vain. Because our faith hinges on the resurrection. We, the reason we have a Bible in our hands today is because some early believers like Matthew and James and John and Peter, they thought it would be wise to write down some of the things that, not things that they heard or things that they read, but things they had seen with their own two eyes. Friends, the resurrection is not just why we're here today. The resurrection is why people have devoted themselves to this movement called the church for the last 2,000 years. And so if the resurrection didn't happen, all of this is meaningless. Paul actually makes this very assessment in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me show you what he says. He says, now let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there is no resurrection, there's no living Christ and face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything that we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything that you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. And if you were to be honest, some of you, this is kind of how you feel today. You're, you're really not sure what you think about all of this. Maybe you're here because you felt compelled to come with your family or your wife or your husband or whatever that looks like because it's Easter. But if you're ready to stop pretending this morning, I think we would all admit that at some point in each of our lives, there's existed a little bit of doubt. There's existed a little bit of uncertainty. Maybe I could say it this way. There's a little skepticism in us all. And for what it's worth, if I'm describing any of you, this is the type of church that welcomes those kind of conversations. And so if this is you, first let me say that you're safe here. Your doubts and your questions they're safe here. Your story, no matter how it reads, it's safe here. But listen to me, we don't want you to stay there. Because if you stay there, living in those doubts and living with this posture of skepticism, with time, it will likely wear away at the fabric of whatever faith that you might have left. And for some of you, this is your story, isn't it? But up until this day, you've never admitted it to anybody. And by holding it in, 
Maybe you've started to feel your heart become calloused with time. Callous to this conversation, maybe callous to Christianity as a whole. And so can I ask you just a couple rhetorical questions this morning if I am describing anyone in here. Is it possible that you quit or you're in the process of quitting, that this is the internal story that you know is happening behind the scenes in your life? Is it possible that you quit for the wrong reasons? Is it also possible that you quit too soon? We're gonna talk more about that later. Is it also possible that you've hesitated handing your life fully over to Jesus, not really because of doubts, but because of fear. Fear of what that could mean for your life because you and I both know that if all of this is true and Jesus is who he said he was, then there's eternal implications for our life. And so could I be so bold this morning to say that when you're in environments like this, that there's like an inner battle happening with you. There's something inside of you that says, don't let go of it. Don't let go, just hang on. Yet there's another voice inside of you that says places like this and people like me can't be trusted. And some of you are wondering right now if I've been reading your emails or journal, aren't you? If any of what I have just said describes you, I need to let you know right now that this message is for you. This message is for you. And so what I'd like to do is spend the rest of my time helping you to see Three particular points. The first one is this. You're not alone. You're not alone in your doubt. You're not alone in your struggle. And you're not alone in your brokenness. The second thing that I want to help you to see is that you are potentially, and at least give me that much. Give me that much to know that you're potentially trading the truth of God right now for a lie. And the last thing that I would like to help you to see is this. If the resurrection is all you got, if the resurrection is all you have, if you have trouble and you're skeptical about you know, the church and people like me and, and Christians even, if the resurrection is all you have, maybe that's that little voice in you that says, man, can I keep, you know, God is pulling you in his direction. Will you just hang on to this? Because if the resurrection is all you have today, I need to let you know it's all you need. Your questions about the Bible, they can come later. Your skepticism about the church and Christianity, that can come later. Figuring out all the things that you think you, mean to, you may need to start doing differently, all of that can come later. But if the resurrection happened, then that means Jesus is who he said he was. And that changes everything. How we live, how we approach life, how we love others, how we make decisions. And for those of us that have been around the church for a long time, listen to me because I'm talking to several of us right now. For those of us that have been around the church for a long time, maybe this isn't our struggle. But I pray that we may become more empathetic to the people that are in the struggle. In the tension, they're living in the tension between a savior and the real skepticism that they're wrestling with behind the scenes, probably they've never even let anybody know about. Because this tension is real. And if we can be fair this morning, I would say that the church and Christians alike have given pl people plenty of reasons to be skeptical, myself included. So even though the gospel and the good news of Jesus may not come hard for a lot of us to believe or accept, that's not the case for everyone. It wasn't even the case for Jesus' own brothers. Let me read a passage to you from John's gospel in chapter seven. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him with sarcasm, you gotta make sure you hear this in sarcasm, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this, Jesus. If you can do such wonderful things, then show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers didn't believe in him. If you ask me, these moments in scripture are incredibly valuable to us because 
it gives us insights and kind of shows us the humanity of the people behind the pages. It also shows us the fact that the writers didn't omit these realities that the scriptures are trustworthy. God's word is trustworthy because that, that would have been probably better to leave out. His own brothers, his own brothers likely mocked him on more than one occasion for claiming to be the Messiah, the son of God. Think about it for a second. What would you have to do to convince one of your siblings that you were the Messiah? For Jesus, it actually took walking out of a tomb that they buried him in. And I think we would all agree that if someone predicts and pulls off their own death, burial, and resurrection, we should probably go with whatever they say. This is exactly what James, one of the brothers of Jesus, concludes later in his life. After being a skeptic for the majority of his life and the majority of Jesus' life, he has an encounter that completely changes the course of his life. Let me show you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and still you stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And can I make just a side note really quick on that statement? Some of you, this is actually your story, and you might not even know it. Some of you may potentially be walking away or have walked away from the church because you started with a false premise. What you learned about God and who you thought God or who you thought Jesus was and what you thought the church was about and what you thought Christianity, about, what Christianity was about was actually not true to begin with. And you just need to know that that's a possibility. And so maybe you've walked away from the church unnecessarily. Let me pick up in verse three. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by 12, the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. In other words, there were hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses accounts of the resurrection, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by who? James. Then he has an encounter with his brother James and later by all the apostles. Let's, let's just camp here for a second. You see, up until this point, James, Jesus' own brother, he wasn't buying it. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine all the hard times that they maybe gave their brother over the years, and we got a glimpse of it in the Gospel of John himself, you know, itself. And so let's just speculate a little bit here. Think about it. James grew up in the shadow of Jesus. Now, some of you might be able to identify with this to some extent, right? Growing up in the shadow of an older sibling who made better grades and you know, was better in sports and you know, didn't break the rules as much as you did. Hopefully you didn't grow up with a sibling claiming to be the Messiah. If you did, you had a more dysfunctional family than mine, but that's all right. You see, James and the rest of his brothers, just imagine this. They were always hearing how special their oldest brother was. And likely they were probably overlooked on more than one occasion. And I can imagine, I don't think it's too far to, too far fetched to think this. I bet they kind of, developed a contemptuous spirit against their brother. We don't hear that word a whole lot, contemptuous, but a contemptuous spirit would have been like, why do you even have to exist? Why do you even have to be here? Why did you have to show up in our family? Why does this have to be our story? And so it's possible, it's possible, that when Jesus, I'm sorry, when James sees his brother hanging on a Roman cross beside two criminals, maybe he thought to himself, well, at least the charade is over. 
at least the charade is over. But then, and when, he saw his dead but fully alive brother standing in front of him, it completely changes the course of his life. And he realizes, listen to me, that he quit too soon. That he quit too soon. That he was wrong. And from that encounter alone, James completely changes the course of his life from skeptic, not just to a believer, but the leader of the Jerusalem church. And ultimately, he's stoned to death in 62 AD because he can't stop talking about his dead brother that he most certainly saw fully alive. So let me ask you again, what would it take for one of your siblings to convince you that they were the Messiah for James? It took his fully dead brother coming back to life. Friends, it wasn't just his brothers that were skeptics. We know that at 3 p.m. on Friday, Jesus hangs lifeless on a cross, which is not what people expected out of their Messiah, out of this new king. We know that on Sunday, Jesus is resurrected, and we know on Friday that he's crucified, and so we have what's called Good Friday, and we have Resurrection Sunday. But have you ever thought about Saturday? Because maybe we could call Saturday Skeptical Saturday. I bet you've never thought about this. You see, when they take Jesus' body off the cross, from this point until he starts to reveal himself to people, when he starts to uh, reveal himself to his brother and the apostles and the 500, before that happens, we have a gap of time. Let's just call it Saturday. In this gap of time, there are no Christians. People aren't sitting around waiting for him to come back. At this point, all hope is lost for them. Let me paint a picture for you by reading from John's Gospel in chapter 19 so that you can see the reality of this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. It's a lot of stinking aloe, just a side note. Taking Jesus' body, how many of them? How many? Two of them. Where is everybody? The two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. And the fact that Joseph is there and Nicodemus is there doesn't even mean that they're there because they believe he's coming back. They're there as friends. Some of you might have walked away because of a bad experience. These guys walked away because they didn't believe anymore. And even though Jesus told them that he was coming back, that he would be raised to life on the third day, they were skeptical. Many of them had already forgotten about this whole third day resurrection and I want to show you how this happens. Let me begin by talking about the scene that happens in Luke 24, the resurrection story. You see, there's a group of ladies that come down to the temple, and it says they're bringing with them some spices, so they're likely going to re-anoint the body, most likely. And so they get there, and the, the stone is rolled away from the tomb, and they walk in, and there is no body. And nobody expected no body. Preacher joke, sorry. Um, so they're in there, and then two angels show up, and these angels show up, and they say, why are you looking for the dead among the living? Let me show you what happens next in verse 6. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Don't miss this next statement. Then they remembered 
that he had said this. They had already forgotten. Nobody's sitting around thinking about a third day resurrection. At this point, they are living in their doubt. At this point, they are living in a posture of skepticism, just like some of you are today. So what was it going to take for them to change their mind? Let me build this case further. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, to all the others, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Don't miss the next statement. But they did not believe. They did not believe the women. So you can imagine if they're thinking about a third day resurrection, when they, when they actually hear women come to tell them that they haven't found the body, you would, you would think that their first posture and their first response would be, oh, this makes sense, this sounds familiar, but it didn't. Because a lot of them, most of them had already forgotten about this whole third day resurrection and so they're just sitting there living in their doubts. They did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. I want you to imagine this with me. For three years, for three years his disciples, his fellas, they followed him with the expectation of him becoming a great king, of him overthrowing the Roman government. So as you might be able to imagine, none of them could understand why Jesus didn't do anything when he's being flogged. It seemed like weakness. I mean, is this how a king, is this how a king, a Messiah, is this how God in the flesh is going to allow humanity to treat him? You can imagine that they didn't understand why he didn't call out for a legion of angels before his wrists and his ankles were nailed. Or maybe at the very least, ask for God to rescue him from the pain and suffering as he's hanging in agony on a Roman cross. And after seeing their hopeful Messiah hanging lifeless and powerless, they walked away. They walked away. They were done, just like some of you feel like you are today. And their deepest desires faded into doubt. But listen to me. They walked away too soon. Can I say it again? They walked away too soon. This could be your story today. People have been walking away from Christianity for centuries and for several different reasons. Hurtful and unhealthy church experiences, hurtful and unhealthy Christians, false or inaccurate teachings on who Jesus actually is, worship leaders who wear skinny jeans, all good reasons to leave the church. There he is back there. Tyler, a worship leader, I love you. <clears throat> he doesn't wear skinny jeans. Others, stay with me, Others may have walked away because their Christian faith was simply something they've adopted from their parents. And so when they get a little bit older, this may be your story, and you start asking real fact-based questions and you keep getting Sunday school answers, you're done. And for what it's worth, I'm not sure how wise it would be for anybody just to believe something blindly these days in this age of endless information. Now, some of you, especially if you grew up in the church, you might respond, well, Aaron, aren't we supposed to believe by faith and not by sight? Yes, but even you would agree that there are versions of Christianity that simply aren't true. Versions of Christianity that misrepresent Jesus. I bet many, if not most of us, know someone who has walked away, who has quit the church and walked away from Christianity because of a version of Christianity that was unhealthy and potentially even harmful. I grew up in a brand of faith, I'll kind of leave it at that, I grew up in a brand of faith that often made judgmental statements. And I remember uh, getting to a place where I'd finally heard enough, and this pastor made a comment, I'll let you know what that is here in a minute, but after I heard this comment, I said, I'm done. 
And I walked away from the church. I didn't walk away from my faith. I didn't walk away from Jesus, but I walked away from the church for a little while. In the statement that he make, made, and I'll quote, he was up on stage, he was preaching in a position like this, and he said, the Dixie Chicks need to be buried face down because that's where they're going. Now, if he would have said that about the Backstreet Boys, I'd have been fine, but no, I'm just That's horrible. <laughs> Forgive me, God. Um, nobody messes with the Dixie Chicks. We get this, right? I mean, listen, we all have stories. All of us, listen, we all have stories of church hurt, don't we? But we can't stay stuck in our bad experiences. We can't stay stuck in our doubts in a posture of skepticism. Why? Because there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. And friends, if Jesus walked out of that tomb, that means he's bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your bad experiences. He's bigger than your brokenness. If Jesus walked out of that tomb, that means there is a path to forgiveness no matter how your story reads today. So maybe, just maybe, maybe you quit too soon. Maybe you walked away from the church unnecessarily because what you walked away from wasn't what God intended for you to begin with. And so if that is you, if any of this represents you, here's what I want you to hear from me this morning. We want you to come back. Can anybody else give me some love? We want you to come back. You may be unpolished, you may have an unpretty past and potentially even feel undeserving because of something that you can't undo. Welcome to Trace, a place that you can stop pretending. I personally have two DUIs, possession of marijuana, drug paraphernalia, concealed deadly weapon, attempt to elude an officer, open container, and trespassing, and I'm the one they give a microphone to every week. I don't wear these. Listen to me. I don't wear these. I don't know why you're applauding for my criminal record, but maybe it's because you know where I'm going. I don't wear these things as a badge of honor. Listen to me. I share those with you as a sign of God's grace. Yes, now you can applaud. And so I'm going to have the ushers, if you guys will go ahead, I'm going to have them start handing these cards back out. Again, nobody's going to know what you wrote. These are going to be spread out. Nobody's going to have a clue, but we're going to hand these cards back out. And let's try to do this as, as quick as we can. There's a lot of people in here. And as we're handing these cards back out, I just want to, I want to fill you in on a few things that maybe you need to be reminded of today. Friends, it is by his wounds. It is by his wounds and because of an empty tomb that we can find freedom today. No matter how many times you've failed or fallen short, I'm a living testimony to that. And one of the best things that I really do feel that I can do for you today is to help you to stop trading God's truth for a lie. And that lie could look several different ways. The lie that you're alone in your struggle. The lie that says that you're alone in your pain. The lie that says that you're alone in your hypocrisy. The lie that says that you're alone in your doubts. So in the most tangible way that I know how, what I want to do for us today is I want to show you that most of us are really like the rest of us, which means you're not alone. You know what Easter is all about if you really break it down? Easter is all about Jesus taking a stand for us against sin. That's what it's about. And so in the spirit of that, what I'd like to do today is I'd like to ask you to take a stand for someone else. I want you to take a stand for someone else. And so the way that this is going to look is I'm going to read one of these questions, and if the card that you have in your hand, if that person put a check mark there, then I want you to stand up on their behalf. And I want to show us that we're not alone in our struggle, in our brokenness, in our doubts, even in our fears. And so question number one, do we have them all out before I do this? Just a couple minutes, one, 30 seconds. 
almost there. Ten seconds. We're good to go. Question number one. Have you ever doubted if God is real? If that person put a check mark, would you stand to your feet? Just look around, guys. You can have a seat. Question number two. Have you ever struggled with depression, crippling fear, or anxiety? Would you stand up if they put a check mark? You can sit down. Number three, have you ever lied to, gossiped about, or made fun of another person? Stand up. You can have a seat. This is gonna be the best workout some of you get all week. (laughs) Number four, have you ever been addicted to something? Look around, guys. You can sit down. Number five, have you ever been physically abused or physically abusive? Stand up. Okay, you can sit down. Number six, have you ever thought about or attempted suicide? Stand up. Look around. You can sit down. Number seven, Have you ever had a sexual relationship with someone you're not married to? Go ahead and stand up. Okay, you can sit down. Number eight, have you ever struggled to believe that God likes you, that he loves you, and that he wants good things for you? You can sit down. Last one. Do you have any secrets? You can sit down. If you thought you were alone, you aren't. If you thought you wouldn't be welcomed here, if we really knew you, you are. If you thought this was a church full of perfect people, you're smoking something. And this is Colorado, so that's possible. (laughs) But if you thought this was a church full of forgiven people, it is. If you thought you couldn't come back because you once walked away, you're wrong. And if you thought there was no hope, I'm here to tell you today, there is And if you like, if you want to move towards freedom today, you can. The kind of freedom that people have been finding in this church over the last two plus years. I want you to watch this video. Growing up, I had a troubled home. Uh, It resulted in me moving in with a sibling. After about 12 years of drug addiction, um, in and out of jail, in and out of prison, um, I gave birth to my son in prison. I started coming to church when I was really little. I used to go with my parents. I was trying to find the Word of God, didn't really grow up with it. So when I was 13 years old, I tried to take my own life. I was filled with all of the things that I thought brought meaning to life, uh, a family, a good job. Um, But that all fell apart when my marriage crumbled. For the last nine years or so, I've been chasing this idea of um, becoming a new person and haven't found anywhere to fit in and haven't found where it felt right to me. I lost my worth. I lost who I was. Um, I had no idea my morals, my standards. In all honesty, I never thought I had the self-worth. I didn't think God saw enough in me to forgive me but didn't really rely on God until my life essentially hit rock bottom. And when I found Trace, it made me realize that 
You'll never have enough family. I decided to be baptized, um, allowing Jesus to be my Lord, not just my Savior. It just turned my life around by just coming to the church. I gave my life to Christ again through baptism. The thing with Trace is it came into my life at a, at a point in time where I needed to be able to share the glory and the changes in my life that God has made. Um, and it's hard to do when people don't really understand where you've come from. And I'm still allowing God in my heart and He's showing me the paths that I need to take and how to better myself. Coming to Trace and feeling like I'm accepted for my story and for what I've been through um, has been what brought me to be baptized here. The steps saying, Jesus, I want to spend the rest of my life pursuing you and running after you. And I am number one. I am 91. I am number 45. I am number 79. I am number 19. I'm number nine. Number 17. I am number 83. I am number 27. Number 74. Number 52. I am number 20. I am number 51. I am number 50. I am number eight. Number 84. I am number 93. Number 18. 66. Number 75. I am number 49. I am number 97. And I am number 80. If the resurrection is all you have, the resurrection is all you need. For some of you, you're still living. You know, you know you still got some questions. You still got some doubt. You still got some skepticism in you. But if you were listening to that voice inside of you today that's telling you to just hang on, I want you to listen to that voice. I want you to be reminded that fear, he is a liar. And for some of you today, what that means is that you need to make a bold decision. You need to have a lot of courage and you need to take a step forward toward freedom today by coming and grabbing one of these towels out of my hand hands and being obedient in baptism for some of you this is going to be an opportunity for us just to remember what Christ has done for us in our lives we've already made that decision and so we're going to celebrate in something called communion. There are four stations around this room where we're going to go and take a cracker that represents the body of Jesus that represents his broken body on the cross and dip it in some juice that represents his blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. Some of you need to, <clears throat> need to stay seated in your chair and just think about what you've heard this morning and maybe God's trying to speak to you about something specifically, but some of you need to make this decision. You need to stop living in your doubts and take a step towards freedom today. Maybe you're in here today and maybe you were baptized as a baby and that's awesome if your parents made that decision for you. We simply don't ever see that in the new covenant. Jesus always wants us to make that that decision for ourselves. This is not about adopting a faith from our parents. This is about saying, I'm in. And so if you've come here today and you're not, you're like, well, I would, but I don't even have any clothes. We've got some clothes for you. And so all you need to do is come up and grab one of these towels. I'll be standing down here. Come and grab one of these towels from me. And we've got some awesome people that are going to help you to go and get changed. And then we're going to have the band lead us through a few worship songs. And we're going to celebrate the decision for you to be faithful in baptism today. And just take a step towards freedom, no matter how your story reads up until this day. So I'm going to pray for us. And after I'm done, I'm going to encourage you to respond however you feel the Lord is prompting you. But for some of you, it's time to be bold. It's time to be courageous. And it's time to set fear aside. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray through as few words as possible that you would just make the people in this room take 
that step of courage, that need to take that step of courage, that they would just see their feet, one foot moving in front of the other and find themselves coming up here because they know it's exactly what they need to do, even though they're trying to talk themselves out of it right now. And so God, would you just allow a movement of your Holy Spirit to fall in this room and to convict where we need to be convicted? Would you comfort where we need to be comforted? And would you remind us where we need to be reminded? And what a day to be reminded of how much you love us as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And so God, would you partner with us in this moment? We love you, we invite you, we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said.